Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us courage. In Jesus' name, amen. The prayer of good courage goes like this. O God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending, by paths as yet untrodden, through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If we already know for certain how something is going to end, we don't need faith, do we? Or do we? This may bend your mind a little, but follow along. Your name was written in a book before the foundation of the earth or the universe was laid. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that you would be saved. Now, you did not choose Jesus. He chose you. God does not want you to doubt your salvation and thus waste your life running around trying to earn or deserve something that is his gift to you. He would rather you live your life fully and freely in celebration, knowing that you were saved. Now, your salvation is not the product of your life. It's just the opposite. Your life is the product of your salvation. In 1986, I was sent to Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Los Gatos, California, better known as Silicon Valley. There were three vicars in the circuit that year, Jeff, Joel, and myself. Our vicarage bishops decided in Lent that we would do a round-robin preaching event, each of us learning one sermon, and we would rotate through the churches until all of us had preached it, and it would make it simple. Pastor Hoffman assigned me Genesis 22, the story of Abraham's sacrifice. There are few stories in the Bible more confusing, more angering, and more terrifying. And me, having written and preached a whopping five sermons, was given this text to preach to three different congregations. Fortunately, there are no extant copies of that sermon anywhere. Almost 40 years later, having written and preached now over 3,000 sermons, the text is still challenging, but I'm a little less anxious about it. None of the people in the Bible stories know how their story is going to end until it's over. They were living it in real time. And as much as I would love to just say, well, they had faith, I know that that did not answer their questions, resolve any of their anxiety, or even allow them to sleep that well at night. You see, the Bible says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But that doesn't mean life is going to be nothing but ice cream and puppy dogs. On January 13, 2018, a state employee got really confused and texted everyone in Hawaii that we were all going to die, that there was a ballistic missile inbound, this was not a test, and we all needed to take shelter. Not having a school desk, which I was taught in the 1960s, would even survive a nuclear war as long as my hands were over my neck. I went outside to see if I could spot the missile as it was incoming. For 20 minutes, chaos reigned. Then the governor remembered his Twitter password, and someone managed to unpush the button. Now, over the next few weeks, stories from everywhere emerged. People were saying, I knew it wasn't real, and others said, I thought I was going to die. Hindsight is always 2020, though. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher and a believer. He wrote a book entitled Fear and Trembling, where he avoids all the cliches, emotional absurdities, and rational dismissals of this story about Abraham and Isaac. He helps us slow down and see the story from Abraham's point of view. Abraham doesn't know the ending until it ends. Now, 
He hears God's call to sacrifice his beloved son, but unlike us who can jump forward and see that the story ends happily, Abraham had to live it out in real time, three and a half days of real time. And he's the only one who knows what God has asked. He, he chose not to share it with anyone. Imagine doubt and faith playing volleyball in his head for three full days. You know, when we talk about a calling, we are saying that God created us, resourced us, and set us apart to do something very specific. We are called by God to do something. A calling is serious business. And if God calls you, there is no doubt. You can do whatever he calls you to do. The question is, will you do it? In Abraham's case, it's sorting out conflicting callings. The first, where Abraham is called to love and protect his child, Isaac. The second is his willingness to give up his child. This is not a question of right or wrong, as some people want to simplify it to. As our creator, God has the right to ask us to do anything. The question we must also ask is, what are those limits? See, while that's very, very scary, it is also a truth that we have to attempt to grasp. It also requires, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know when God is, is calling us. Not a pizza, not an emotional disturbance, not a psychological break, not a personal grudge, but God actually calling us to do whatever it is that needs to be done. See, as I mentioned before, as much as I would love to summarize the entire story by just saying, well, Abraham, faith, leave it at that, it's not an adequate explanation. Authentic faith is not secured by the outcome that follows difficult times. It is forged as we follow God's voice through fear and trembling to where God knows that we need to be. Kierkegaard noted everyone has to make choices and that every choice has a consequence. We must ask, can we live with our choice and can we live with the consequences? And blind resignation, just giving in and not doing or doing whatever it is we're supposed to do or not do, by the way, is not faith. Faith is not about saving our mind or our body. It's about our soul. This is why Jesus says, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul in the process? One of the hardest parts of faith is allowing our love of God to be greater than our earthly happiness or comfort. Such a love does not come by just waking up one morning after your baptism or after your confirmation and saying, you know what, I am going to live my life for God. We may say that. We may even want to believe it. But it isn't until we come face to face with something that takes us so far out of our comfort zone and challenges us in ways that we never imagined and we discover that there is no easy way out that we find out what kind of faith we have. You see, whether it's an illness, the loss of a loved one, a ballistic missile threat, a divorce, we discover not who we said we were, but who we really are and the kind of faith that we actually have. Here are some things that might help us understand this story. First, child sacrifice was normal in the culture and time that Abraham was living in. Yeah, I, I know. What God asked of Abraham was not strange. Most of the religion wouldn't have blinked an eye at such an expectation. Sin had to be paid for. The gods had to be appeased. And so whether it was an animal or a child, well, you paid God off so he wouldn't smite you. Second, there was no people of God yet, nor was there a Bible or a church. Abraham could both, would both literally and metaphorically give birth to a new nation as well as the church. 
But right now it's just Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, and maybe Lot, depending on what day of the week it was. Whatever God had told Abraham to do and whatever he and his family was to become was still unknown because no one had ever done it or been it before. God is leading Abraham to ventures of which he could not see the end by paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown. Quite a few years before this event, God came to Abraham and he said, Look, I want you to go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God had a habit of asking Abraham to do really hard things. Leave his family, start walking until God told him to stop. And the only promise that God gave him was that he would bless him and that he would curse those who cursed him. And somewhere in there, a child would be born. And that child would bring about a new nation. And through that child, everyone would be blessed. Abraham knew there would be a price to pay. I mean, there always is, isn't there? And now it appears the price is his beloved son. If you walked into heaven just before God created the heavens and the earth, and he confided this creation he was about to speak into being, was going to mess things up so badly that there was no way that even given a billion, jillion years that they would ever be able to fix it, that he was going to have to save them, and that this process of salvation, by the way, was going to involve him sending his own son from heaven down into earth to live among the creation, to suffer, to die a horrible death, would you have tried to talk God out of it? I mean, we need to ask that question. See, how do we justify God sacrificing His Son to save us? Or do we even think about it? I mean, is that just God's job? What is the rationale for human sacrifice? I mean, is that what we're doing when we send men and women to fight in wars? Or the police into very, very dangerous areas? Is it what we're doing when we ask somebody to explore space? Or children work in lithium mines to power new cell phones, or athletes to take continual blows to the head so that we can watch a game? I I know, I, I suppose that's a little extreme, but human sacrifice is alive and well in this world. It's just taken on a different form. I wasn't a huge fan of the TV show Friends, but I'd watched enough of them that I knew the basic characters and the plot outline of of what it was about. Last year when Matthew Perry died, an interview came up where he credited a higher power with helping him deal with his addiction problems. And, And this is what he told the interviewer. He says, I prayed a prayer. Please, God, make me famous. You can do whatever you want to me. Just make me famous. I thought about all the times I prayed a very similar prayer. Please, God, let me pass this test. Let my grandpa live. Take the monkeys out of my brain. I want you to help that family. I want you to save that marriage. I'm not sure I included that you can do anything you want to me, but, but it was probably implied. There is no such prayer prayed by Abraham recorded in the Bible. If you run through all the previous chapters, and by the way, there aren't that many of them, there is the story of Noah and the flood and the Tower of Babel and a bunch of begats. That's where so-and-so begat so-and-so. In other words, gave birth to him, and you know, then they grew up, and they begat so-and-so. And, okay. and then Genesis records, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. 
Now, the very next thing that the Bible records is God calling Abram to leave Haran and start walking until God tells him to stop. No prayers, no bargains, no inklings about any conversations between Abraham and God and what was implied or what was understood. There were no corporate church services back then. Sacrifices, stacking rocks, dreams, epiphanies, but nothing about God getting together you know, his people to hear a sermon, sing some hymns, and give an offering. You worshiped God by the way you lived. And there are a lot more instances of God showing up and actually walking into the midst of his people and talking with them. So much so, by the way, that, that nobody seems surprised when he does. And when God asks you to do something, you just did it. Because it was more about relationships than it was about religion. My life and my children belong to God more than they belong to me. The older they I get, the more I understand that, and the more, by the way, I'm thankful for it. I have dreams and desires and hopes, but ultimately, going back to Kierkegaard, in my soul, I know that I do not want to gain the whole world, regardless of how good it might seem to me, but sacrifice my soul or the soul of my children and grandchildren in the process. It still doesn't make it easy, though. Without overthinking or minimizing it, I stopped and thought about Abraham and those three and a half days of volleyball that led up to the moment he bound Isaac and placed him on the stacked wood and pulled out the knife and began the sacrifice. I cannot know what was going through his mind, but I do know what was going through God's mind. You see, nothing in what was happening was a surprise to Abraham. The other gods, this is how they did religion. And so Abraham probably just assumed, well, this is how my God is going to do religion. You bribed God, you fed him, you did nice things for him. And if he asked you to sacrifice something, even your own child, well, you just did it because your life was more important than whatever it was that you were called to sacrifice. To Abraham, this whole faith thing was new. He'd been trying to figure it out for years. And just when it seemed to have almost clicked, God shows up and tells him to sacrifice the promised child that he had waited forever for. Abraham knew that there was a price to pay, and so he would pay it. But God stops him. Not because God wanted to see if Abraham would go through it, because God already knew that Abraham would, because that's part of the thing about being God. God stopped him and then pointed to a ram that was caught in a bush, and he said, over there. And Abraham went and sacrificed the ram instead. You see, God wanted Abraham to know that he was not like the other gods. That the God that Abraham was going to worship was not like those other gods, small g. And faith? Faith is not like all those other religions. God isn't like all those other gods, and faith is not like all those other religions. This is a life changer. Abe didn't question God. He untied his son, went and got the ram. Earlier in the story, Isaac had asked his dad, I see the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham answered, the Lord will provide it. And by the way, what he actually understood, what he meant, what he envisioned, we will not know until we're sitting in heaven with him and having an iced tea while we're listening to the angel choirs play on their harps. But you see, here's something. Abraham, long before St. Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 12, he learned what it meant to be a living sacrifice. Before we get all sentimental and gushy, Abraham and Isaac's story was far from finished. And while it sounds hard to believe, today was nothing compared to a couple of the stories that are going to happen later in their life. 
It was enough they knew how this particular story ended, though, and it gave them hope for how all the other stories would end as well. You see, authentic faith is not secured by the outcome that follows difficult times. It is forged as we follow God's voice through fear and trembling to where God knew that we needed to be. O God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending, by paths as yet untrodden, through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.